This episode of the Bendy Bodies podcast is brought to you by Bowerfine Premium Braces and Supports. Bowerfine promotes mobility and activity through pain relief and improved joint control. Just because somebody has back pain, you don't just assume that it's your SI joint or your disc or whatever. Like I told you, no one has a normal MRI. There's no such thing as a normal MRI. So you look at the muscle, it's easy. You palpate the muscles, you, you, know, you push around and all of a sudden they're going to jump up and say, yeah, that hurts a lot. And you can feel a knot there. And that's where you are. And that's because your muscles are trying their best to stabilize your joints, stabilize you as you move around. You're right. Welcome back, every Bendy Body, to the Bendy Bodies podcast. I'm your host and founder, Dr. Linda Bluestein, the Hypermobility MD, here to provide you with accessible information and inspiration about hypermobility disorders like EDS, HSD, Marfan syndrome, and so much more. Combining my medical expertise and personal experiences and my passion for the science and clinical treatment of symptomatic joint hypermobility, I also treat patients and coach clients to optimize their quality of life. So let's get after it. As always, this information is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Today, we are so excited to have my friend and mentor, Dr. Pradeep Chopra, back with us for yet another great conversation. Before I welcome Dr. Chopra, let me introduce my friend and yours, Jennifer Milner, former professional ballet and Broadway dancer who trains hypermobile artists to work to their fullest potential. She knows a thing or two about being a bendy body. We are so fortunate to have Jen here today co-hosting this episode. Hey, Jen, it's so good to have you here. Hey, always good to be here. All right. And Dr. Pradeep Chopra is a Harvard-trained anesthesiologist, double board certified in pain management and anesthesiology, director of the Center for Complex Conditions and assistant professor, Brown Medical School, with a special interest in co chronic complex pain conditions and their associated coexisting conditions. Dr. Chopra, hello, and welcome back to Bendy Bodies. Thank you. Happy to be here again. Wonderful, wonderful. And we previously spoke with you about pain in the abdomen, the head, the neck, spine, chest, and upper extremities. And I strongly encouraged listeners to go check out those episodes as well. And today we're going to talk about pain in the lower extremities. So can you start out by telling us why this is an important topic for people with symptomatic joint hypermobility? Pain anywhere is pain, and that can make, make anybody's life miserable. And the problem with the legs is that they're weight-bearing joints, and these are weight-bearing uh, appendages. And so you can't do much if you're, if, so, so the joint in your legs have to not only be mobile, but they also have to be able to tolerate the weight of your body. That's the thing. So you should, you have your joints, like your, let's say your knee has to be mobile enough for you to walk, but at the same time, be strong enough to support your weight. And you have to remember that when we walk, we don't walk on two feet. We talk on, we walk on one feet, one leg at a time. So you put all your weight on the right leg first, and then you put all your weight on the left leg. So, so your knee joint on the right side, for example, your knee, hip, and ankle have to be able to be able to bear your entire body weight, not half your body weight. And then, and then your left side has to be able to bear all of that. And, and all this while you're moving and walking. And that's the beauty of the human body. Um, that it can, it, it's designed to do that. 
So to start, so with the legs, um, I like to start with the feet first, because if your feet and ankles are not stable, then that makes your knees unstable. And most often your knees are unstable to start with, and then that throws your hips off. Um, and then that throws your back off. So it's like a Jenga tower. If one piece is missing or loose, then everybody else falls apart. So let's talk about the feet and ankles. Um, firstly, the feet. Uh, almost, I mean, I, I would say almost 90% of people with EDS have flat feet. Okay. And I and and remember something, you look at flat feet, whether your foot is flat or not, is when you're putting weight on it when you're standing. I always get this argument, but my feet have beautiful arches. Yes, that's when you're not standing on them, but the minute you stand, they're flat as a pancake. That's the difference. Um, the other difference, um, the flat feet, uh, is that your arch. So we have an arch in our feet. Think of your arch as a bow and arrow, the bow part of a bow and arrow. And it's got a springy action. So when we walk, that springy action gives you that bounce as you walk. And that makes you take larger steps. Now, if you don't have that, if the string on the bow is broken and you have flat feet, then you're just walking like Donald Duck. Splat, 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 splat. Um, that leads to its own problems. The other thing that happens in EDS is that the flatness is not just the arch. The flatness is also in the forefoot, the front of the foot. And if you see, if, if you look at, if a person with EDS looks at their feet, they'll see that the front of the foot is, when they stand, splays out. So it looks like a spatula, it's, it splays out and the arch disappears. <clears throat> so let me just address the front of the foot flatness uh, real quick, because that's easy. Whenever you buy shoes, make sure that they're wide because you want, you know, your shoes should have enough space for your, for the front of your feet to spread out. Uh, correcting the flat, the, the arch of the foot is not always necessary. I've heard, I've learned this the hard way where I've insisted on correcting it and people have felt uncomfortable. Uh, so if, if it's, you can try, most shoe manufacturers now include a bit of an arch in their, in their shoes. So brands like Asics, Brooks, especially, uh, Hoka's, these brands include an arch in their shoes. And that really makes them very, very comfortable. And that's why they're so popular. <clears throat> now, if you, if you have a shoe where there's no, which, which doesn't have an arch, you can buy one of these and try it. And you can buy an El Cheapo brand from uh, the pharmacy and try it. Uh, and it should give you, it should make you feel good right away. It's not a question of getting used to it. As soon as you put it in, into your shoe and you wear that shoe, you, the first step you take should feel good. And if it feels good, then that's great. And if you need a shoe insert to, to, um, for, your, for your flat feet, the, the, one of the better brands that I've found is called Pedag, P-E-D-A-G. That's P-E-D-A-G. It's a German brand. It's kind of semi-custom built. Uh, I think you can look at it on Amazon or you can look at their website. It's a German brand. Um, they do last a while. They're not super duper expensive. Because you got to, the problem with these uh, inserts is that you have to change them on a, on a very regular basis. Then there's no rule. Most people say um, once a year, but you can go longer. But remember, they should, once they become really mushy and flat, then you can throw them away and get a new one. Um, but like I said, most shoes nowadays have an arch built into them, which, which is awesome. 
the other problem so when sorry when you have a flat foot what's the problem about that the problem is that when you stand it makes your foot um, curve outwards so the foot if you look at your if somebody looks at your ankles from the back when you're standing it you can see that the ankle sort of curves outwards and uh, and and that is where the problem is because remember your weight comes down your leg and it as it comes down your leg when it reaches the ankle it should go straight down into the ground but if your ankle is turned outwards it's not getting that proper weight transmission and that leads to ankle problems and ankle issues and that's the reason why we need to correct our fat uh, our flat feet um just to recap flat feet you 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 check flat feet by standing on a on a hard ground or flat surface that's how you check it you don't check it by looking at it you, if you eyeball it it's going to look great uh, but the minute you stand it goes flat uh, there are two types the front is flat uh, the front of the foot is flat and that you just you wear whenever you buy shoes you buy wide shoes and for the other one you get uh, your arch you can get a arch insert if your shoe doesn't have one already um, but it's and it's really important to correct your flat foot because as i said a flat foot will arch out or turn outwards and that kind of causes the weight to be transmitted in a in a in an incorrect fashion which leads to ankle damage and can can i um, put a hack in here <laughs> sure uh because i work with a lot of people who do have the flat feet slash high arches when their feet start moving and they do find relief with their, with some sort of arch support, um, especially in my younger population, like teenagers, early twenties, um, they find that relief even with just a drugstore sole insert, but they do not want to take the effort of taking the insert out of their chucks and putting them into their Uggs or whatever the case might be. So I encourage them the inserts are $15, buy three or four pairs, leave one in every single shoe that you need them in, because if you're not using them, you're wasted money anyway. So if the only way you'll use them is if they're already in your shoes, then buy a few low cost ones and, and then at least you will have them in your, in your shoes. So you'll actually use them. That actually is a great hack. Um, Thank you. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, that is a really good hack. Um, because that's what I used to do was I used to keep moving my pedag from shoe to shoe, but it's really not worth it. Just get a few, plus they last longer because mm -hmm. you're not putting all the wear on tear on one pair. You're, you're, you know, so that's, that's a really awesome hack. Thank you. That's like, that's going to be called the hack of the day. <laughs> well, you know, the podcast is early. We just started. So don't, don't, don't give away the prize. No, I don't soon. think I can, I'll be able to beat that hack. <laughs> so let's move up to the ankle. Now, ankle instability is is common. Now, ankle instability is not just particular to EDSs. I've seen um, adults, a lot of adults with ankle instability. So, one of the advantages of waiting for a for a flight at the airport is that you sit down and watch people's ankles. Oh yeah, <laughs> and and you look at oh that one has EDS and that one has oh my goodness those ankles oh <laughs> so so that's. Um, so it's common in non non EDS patients to have um, weak ankles or unstable ankles. Again, ankles are don't have any muscles padded around them. They are, and they do are they're super weight bearing uh, joints. So they do tend to um, get unstable as life goes on. Now EDSs, of course, are born with unstable ankles. And how do you know that? Um, very simple. You you lift up their foot and you can actually grab onto the sole of the foot, the bottom of the foot, and turn the ankle. If not, 
you can just ask them when you walk do your do you ever find you roll yourself rolling your ankles do your ankles roll and they'll say oh yeah i roll my ankles all the time and that is kind of critical because you don't want to roll your ankles and i'll explain that to you in a second but you really don't want to roll your ankles because every time you roll your ankles you are separating that the you know the the leg the lower leg has two bones to it the tibia and the fibula and the tibia and the fibula make a joint at the ankle end and then they also make a joint at the knee end and so what happens is this 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 companionship between the tibia and fibula is very parallel almost parallel and when you roll your ankle this these two bones separate and when they separate they there's a nerve at the top near the knee joint and that gets banged by the fibula. And that nerve is called the peroneal nerve. So the peroneal nerve gets hit. Every time you roll your ankle, um, the two tibia and fibula separate slightly. The fibula separates more than the tibia. And when they separate, the fibula hits against the peroneal nerve just below the knee on the side. And that that nerve is responsible for two things. It's responsible for sensation down the leg into the ankle, into the foot. But more importantly, it's, imp it's, it's responsible for lifting your foot as you walk. So when we walk, we, we, the first thing we do is we do what is called the heel strike. We put down our heel and then we lift the foot, the front of our foot up. And that lifting of the front of the foot is done by the peroneal nerve. And if the peroneal nerve is injured by repeatedly rolling your ankle, then it does not lift up the foot. And that's called foot drop. And these patients will then tend to stumble on their toes. And you can ask them that question. Have you ever noticed that when you've been walking for some time that you stumble on your toes? And they'll all agree to that. In the past, I used to look at the bottom of their shoes and you could see the wear and tear. But now, you know, the soles of their the shoes are so beautifully made that you don't see any wear and tear. Um, but you can ask them, like when you walk for some time and you walk, they have to be walking for some time to irritate that nerve. And they've been rolling their ankles for some time, which then causes them to have a foot drop. And the easiest way to treat a, an unstable ankle is to wear high top shoes. Um, high top shoes, what they do is high top shoes with laces. What they do is they stabilize your ankle. They like they act like a brace but they look nice. So I didn't realize that there are high top shoes and then there are not so high top shoes. Um, so there are, there are shoes which are supposed to be high top, but don't go too up too high up above the ankle. And I don't know what they're called. And then you have the ones that go a little higher than that. And you want that one, the one that goes higher. Um, and, the, and it should have laces so you can tighten your laces and that stabilizes the ankle and that avoids your ankles from rolling. And that then avoids you from tripping on your toes mm -hmm. and also helps with the pain in your leg. And it seems, it seems like just such a small thing. Like if your ankle's going to roll, I mean, you can still sprain your ankle with high top shoes, right? But, but it, it's much less likely and it's such a small thing, but it really does help a lot. Yes. Um, I, I was having a problem with, with my patients because I used to recommend these ankle braces, which really looked ugly. And not only that, they had to buy a new pair of shoes because the brace would be thick. And so they had to buy a new pair of shoes. And then that's when I was sitting at the airport and I looked at this woman walk by with high top shoes. I said, well, that'll work for my unstable ankles. And that's, so there are a few brands out there. Uh, Doc Martens is another is one brand, but almost all uh, basketball sneakers are pretty high top. Mm -hmm. 
and any of those can work for you. They are, but but I will also say most of the high top sneakers, like the basketball sneakers and even the Doc Martens, do not have the built-in arch support that like mm. the Hoka's or uh, some of those other brands would have. So that's where we have to go back to finding an arch support insert that you can use that you can right. invest both worlds. Yeah, and then it can be hard support. to get the arch support in the high top shoe too. Right, right. So you have to make sure if you find a pair of flat, flat sold high top shoes, take an arch support with you to try them on or make sure you can return them mm -hmm. because they will make a difference in how they fit. And every time I put yeah. uh, an arch support in the lace up high top sneakers, it starts to push on my arch. The, the laces mm -hmm. do. So, mm -hmm. you know, you've got to play around with that, but they definitely help. Yes. And you're absolutely right. And that's been my experience. Um, so when you do buy high top shoes, you have to figure out how tight those laces have to be. Um, you, you sort of have to uh, some of the lace, some of those bindings may have may not have to be as tight because after all the ankle joint needs to move. Uh, but you learn, you learn and you'll figure it out soon. And and like I said, some shoes don't have high top, uh, sorry, shoe inserts. And that's when you buy them from Jennifer's um, shoe insert shop. <laughs> there you go. I'll start I, my own shoe insert shop. I, I'm thinking for people who Doc Martens are, yeah, those are like really popular nowadays, right? I, I, I see people wearing Doc Martens and they can be fairly, they're going to the ballet, like they're dressed up and they're, you know, so that's cool that like style wise, there's a lot more options, but for, for people who maybe that's out of their budget, don't, don't you think that even if you're wearing like compression, a more compressive type sock, that that maybe will give you a little bit more proprioceptive input and that way, okay, it's not the same level of support, but maybe it might give you just a tiny bit of an advantage or make it slightly less likely for you to sprain your ankle as compared to having right. nothing. See, just a thought. See, um, you're absolutely right because um, one of the issues with EDS that I, I usually had, I had in the beginning was compliance. I was completely blind to compliance. Guys are completely blind to fashion. <laughs> and, you know, they'll wear anything. You know, they'll take a piece of leather and tie it with a string and walk around um, as shoes. <laughs> but you know, and then when I obviously a lot of my EDS patients are are girls and they're young girls and teenage and in their twenties and and you can't. They rather they rather limp around than wear some <laughs> ugly braids on their ankle. I mm -hmm. can tell you that. Mm -hmm. And so compliance became a big issue for me and so i had to look at something that would appeal to them and the high top shoes made just made a lot of sense um but i i didn't realize till the patient actually showed me a high top shoe that wasn't really a high top shoe it sort of like it was a mid high top shoe and then i realized oh no that won't do you really need a higher than that and mm -hmm. so just be careful about that part mm -hmm. um, well and when we're when we're talking about cost as well for shoes um you know, I, I get it. I know fashion. I know people love, some people like love shoes and love to collect them. For me, because of my body, I would rather buy one really great pair of shoes that's going to cover a few different uses than to buy four different pairs of shoes that are 30 bucks that aren't going to be as supportive to my feet because I'll end up not wearing them. I'll wear them once. My feet will hurt. My ankles will hurt and I'll put them to the side. But if I spend whatever it costs on one good pair of Doc Martens, I look cool. I probably don't look cool, but I feel cool. <laughs> you look cool. Uh, you know, and, or spending, spending great, good money on Hoka's rather than buying a few different pairs of cool looking sneakers that aren't going to last as long and aren't going to give Converse. you support. That you 
Yeah. Converse. Con Let me just explain Converse. You just described Converse. <laughs> Those are not shoes. Those are tarp wrapped around your feet. Okay. And people do look at girls do look at me weirdly when I say Converse is not a good idea, but Converse does make high top. Mm -hmm. And you put so an arch support in it. I sort of compromised myself with that. I said, okay, Converse high top will do. Yes. There you go. Yeah. But anyway, so we've talked about how to stabilize the feet. Okay. And we've talked about how to stabilize the ankles and this should solve at least half the problems with your legs. That's the thing. Remember your problem starts with your having unstable ankles and feet, which then, then goes on to your knees and then to your hips and then to your back. Um, the, the, on the knee part, there are only two issues. One is that um, knees hyperextend. Okay. So they go backwards a lot. Um, not everyone, but most people, it does go hyperextend a lot back. But the question here is, if it hyperextends, should we correct it or not? And the answer is no. If it hurts, if it's painful, then you should consider correcting it. And, and there's a catch to how you correct it, which need to correct it. Because, so the first, what I tell patients is, you know, do the do fix your ankles and your and your foot first and see if it makes a difference to your knees. If that helps your knees, you're all set. If it doesn't, then let me know, you know, which knee hurts more than the other. And, and here's the catch that you, that physicians have to solve. A patient may come in and say, my right knee hurts more than my left knee. But when you examine them, their left knee is much more hypermobile or hyperextended than the right. So what do you do? Your right knee doesn't hyperextend, but it hurts. Your left knee hyperextends and is hypermobile. So which one are you going to treat? And in this case, I choose treating the right knee because what's happening is because their left knee is unstable, they tend to put more weight on their right side. And because they put more weight on the right side, the right knee hurts more. And so I tend to treat the right, sorry, I treat, I'm sorry, my, my bad. I treat the unstable knee, uh, even though it doesn't hurt, which would be the left knee. And that will take care of the right knee. And that's how you have to do it is you really have to figure out um, because they might say, but I don't have any pain on the left knee. And that's the problem. It's not coming from your left knee, but your left knee is making you so unstable that your right knee has to do all the work to stabilize you. So you stabilize the left knee, which even though it's not hurting, you still stabilize that. Well, and isn't that something that you see a lot of with knee issues? Um, as you said yourself, there's not a lot to talk about with the knee. It's either hyperextended or it's not as far as pure hypermobility goes, but the knee is the joint that gets caught in between the hip and the foot or the ankle. And so a lot of knee issues can come up that may not be a result of hypermobility in the knee, but are a result of hypermobility or biomechanical dysfunction because of hypermobility in the hip or in the ankle. And I've had so many clients that go see a physical therapist and say, my knees bothering me. And they say, well, let's look at your feet or let's look at your hips. And they're like, no, 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 it's my knees that bother me. Well, the knee is just the poor kid that's stuck in between these two fighting grownups, right? Um, so yes. it's really important to, to look at that. Yes, absolutely. I've actually had Before people had have back surgery and it didn't help. And when they come into the office and you look at them and you say like, how long have you had this pain in your knee? And this is non-EDS. And then you find out that the issue is actually there's a big bunion in their foot or their knee is completely off. Um, but anyway, so this is the tricky part. Um, you don't just treat what hurts. 
this is this is this is against the rule the squeaky wheel gets the oil this one is the non-squeaky wheel gets the oil so the, because the left knee is hypermobile as compared to the right but you still treat the left knee because it's high because you're transmitting all your weight to the other side but just from my from my experience i can say that most people when you fix their feet and ankles their knees kind of behave themselves there are a few exceptions where i've had to get a brace for the knee and i don't like doing that because no one likes to wear a knee brace what about for people who have um extremely mobile patellas and if they have like say patella alta or some other you know condition where they're dislocating their patella a lot it seems like this is a not uncommon thing with either you know dancers i've seen or patients that i've seen in various different scenarios having uh surgery having like a lateral release for recurrent patellar dislocation seems like a very very common procedure that people have had i would love to know your thoughts about that so the patella is yes the patella is hypermobile in most patients with ds almost all of them um but it's not a problem at all it doesn't and if it is super hypermobile that it's causing a problem it's an easy fix you can actually get little braces or even little straps that will hold the hold the patella in place in place if you're wearing and happen to wear a knee brace almost all knee braces have a little donut hole in the middle that holds the patella in place um if you are not wearing a brace there are straps there are little straps very discreet little straps that you can put around your kneecap and it keeps the kneecap in place um but but most often the kneecap if the patella is going to be a nuisance the problem will show up on the front of the thigh not at the patella because you know the front of the thigh has four four muscles that's why they call the quads so there's a four there are four groups of muscles and all four of them meet at the patella and so if your patella is swinging around from left to right then these muscles are being tugged so for example if your if your patella swings to the right then the left side of the quad the left group of the quad muscle gets pulled if the patella goes to the left then the right side of the quad gets pulled and so oftentimes they, these patients will complain of pain in their thighs rather than at the kneecap itself um i haven't seen good relief good relief from uh from patella release surgeries um and and the best thing is if it is if it is a bother there you know you can get these tiny little knee uh, patella bracer bracing elastic things you can wear around them and they keep them to keep the patella in place then so so with the knee um so just to recap um if you have a hyperextended knee um by the way the term used for hyperextended knees is banana knees <laughs> that's a medical them, term they look like bananas <laughs> um so so knees are generally uh, behave themselves once you get the ankles stabilized the ankles and feet they will behave themselves if the patient comes back and tells me look i did all this i'm wearing these high top shoes my my knee still hurts then i will ask them which knee they'll tell me which knee i look at the knees and then decide on which side is going to get, get a knee brace hmm. now a small little hack on the knee brace now most knee braces you have to sort of pull it up from your you put your foot through it and then you pull it up like a stocking all the way up to your knee now that is not an easy job because this is a tight strap and with having hypermobile fingers it's not an easy job there is one company um that actually makes a knee brace that you can wrap around your knee and of course i can't remember the name now 
Um, give me one sec. I'll, I'll, it'll come to me. Uh, <clears throat> oh yeah, it's a, it's called it's got a it's got a dark name. It's called the Gripper. <laughs> okay, well I guess it grips your knee. Gripper. It's made by a company called MedSpec. M e d s p e c. But in any case, all knee braces have to have a few features. One, it should have a strap on the top, in the front and in the back. Remember, the leg is conical in shape, especially the thigh is conical in shape. So these braces tend to slip down. Um, so it has a strap in the front and it has on the top. Um, it At the thigh level, it has a strap in the front and it has a strap in the back. Um, below the knee, knee itself, it should have a strap in the front and a strap in the back so that these four straps will keep the brace from slipping down. Mm -hmm. uh, it has a hole in the, in the front a little donut hole that keeps the kneecap in place. It has a hinge on each side, um, usually a metal hinge uh, that keeps your knee from hyperextending. That's critical, that's really important. Mm. And it, you can't see it, but it keeps the hinge, keeps your knee from hyperextending. And that's great. a good brand will have, a, have will make it adjustable. They'll give you this little Allen wrench, which you can then unscrew it and then sort of get the right mm -hmm. angle. Um, because you should be able to, you should be under normal circumstances, be able to flex the knee. You don't want it straight like, you know, like Frankenstein walking around. So you should have some flexibility mm -hmm. to the knee. So they have, they, you can adjust and what angle is best for you, you can adjust it. I recommend the gripper because it's, you don't have to pull it up the, up the leg. Um, it just wraps around and has all the other, so all the features that I just talked about. That's great. We should open up a hypermobility store. You have so many great tips from your years of, of working with people, you know, and you know, all the good brands and all the things that work really well, because it's been road tested so much with your patients. Actually, there is a hypermobility store. Um, John Furman uh, from EDS Awareness. Awareness. Right, Dr. Blues? Yeah, EDS Awareness yeah. Chronic Pain Partners. Chronic Pain Partners. If you go to their website, chronicpainpartners.com, um, he has a store um, where they they keep um, where they keep EDS recommended, so recommended by EDSers, different things. I don't know if he has these braces or not, but he does have some amount there. That's great. That's uh, great. Some of these, like the pillows and things like that, they do mm -hmm. have them, and these are all that have been recommended by our other EDS patients. That's great. Hey, before we leave the knee, um, I wanted to go back to something you said about um, how should someone stand in hyperextension or not stand in hyperextension? And you said, if they're not, if it's not feeling any issues, if it's not causing any pain on either side, then you don't necessarily correct it. Um, what about for me, when I see people standing in hyperextension, I usually see a compensatory strategy for their weight, for their gravity, for their plumb line, somewhere up and down the chain. So if I see them hanging in their, in their hyperextended knees, they might be hanging forward on their Y ligaments and their hips. They might be jutting their head forward or something. So would you look at everything before you decided to let them hang in their hyperextension or what do you usually do? Yes. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, if I see that they have no knee problems, but I mm -hmm. see that they have a lot of hyperextension, I, I, it's the same rule. I bring them up, bring that up again. When you stand, always break your knee a little bit. Okay. So it's not tightly hyperextended. Okay. Just a tiny bit. Um, and that's all. <clears throat> that applies to that same rule about uh, keeping your 
um, joints within range of motion mm -hmm. or sorry under your range of motion under your range of motion if they're not squeaking if it's squeaking then we have a different we have a different story here <laughs> uh, so then that takes me to the hips now hips in general we I had, as i mentioned earlier that hips are are very stable joints inherently they're very stable joints they are deep socket joints with a ton of muscles around them uh, and this is um, and, and and they don't have a great range of motion. I mean, most hips, hip joints move uh, forward and backwards just a little bit to the sides. And and the idea was that, well, if you're going to be chased by a saber-toothed tiger, you better run fast. <laughs> you don't want your hips subluxing then. And that was the idea um, of evolutionary idea of having strong hip joints. Um, if a hip joint is subluxing, then the culprit is somewhere else. The culprit is usually in the leg somewhere. And that's the one that we watch out for if they're, if they're subluxing. Um, one, of the, one of the other things that I, and I don't know if, um, so, so in terms of hip joints, there's no great brace for it. There is one, it's, it's very elaborate and it's a pain in the neck to wear it. And it really doesn't help a lot. Um, it's it's almost like shorts. You wear the shorts, and then it sort of stabilizes your um, hip joint. But no, they're not really helpful. But if a stable, if a super stable joint like the hip is subluxing, then the problem is somewhere else in the leg, and you look for that. Either it's the ankle or the knees or something like that. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if this is common. Some a condition called FAI, femoroacetabular impingement. I think um, it is common. It is, I know it's, I've seen it in ADSers only. I've not seen it in non-ADS patients, but I I can't tell you for sure if this is a completely ADS thing or not. But um, this is, to just, there are, there are three different types of FAI. This, this is called femoro, femoroacetabular impingement, and there are three different types. Um, but essentially, um, the head of the femur is too big for the for the socket. That's what it boils down to. And, and the treatment is surgical. Um, and, and, the treat, and it does work well. If it's done by, by an orthopedic surgeon who's familiar with FAI surgeries and, and, ED, and the nuances of EDS, um, it does help. And not just because you have an FAI, you should get surgery done. If you have an FAI and it's squeaking, that's when you have the surgery done. So there's a philosophy in medicine is, you treat the patient, not the MRI. And if you see an FAI on an MRI, but the patient has no hip problems, you don't touch it. But it is, there are three types of FAIs. Um, and I, but basically it boils down to the head of the femur not being, not fitting properly into the, into the cavity of the acetabulum or the hip cavity. And, and from that, you have a few different problems. Um, usually it's a hip pain. Um, Hip pain um, shows up in many di different places. It can show up in your groin, it can show up on the side of your thigh, and it can show up in the middle of your buttock. Now, if you have a pain in any of these areas and you don't know if it's a hip or, or if it's just a muscle, and if you walk and if the pain gets worse, then it's probably the hip. If you walk and you kind of sort of limp a little towards that side, then it's probably a hip joint pain. These are the things to look at. Um, and, and I think to just wind up on, on the lower extremity, I'm going to touch, touch base on the sacroiliac joint. 
the SI joint. Yes, please. Uh, the sacroiliac joint. So, so, so the pelvis is made up of three joints that that connect to each other to form a ring, and in the middle of the ring live live all the organs, the urinary bladder, the uterus, and all that stuff lives in the middle of it. Um, and on the outside of this um, ring uh, is the is the socket for the hip joint. And the SI joint or the sacroiliac joint is. Remember, I told you there are three bones. So the one bone that's in the middle of your, in the of your lower back, uh, almost in your bum, that's called the sacrum. And the sacrum uh, makes a joint with the bone on the left, and it makes a joint with the bone on the right. And that's the joint. These are the two joints that start to hurt. Now, <clears throat> sacroiliac joint pain is is not peculiar to EDS. It is common in non-EDS patients also. Uh, most often seen in women because uh, the, the the pelvis expands for the childbirth and then it goes back in place. Uh, but in EDS, it may not go back and fuse as well um, after a childbirth. So they're left with an SI joint pain. It can also happen with uh, pain from your leg. So if one of your legs is painful, um, it can set off your um, SI joint pain or actually it makes your hip, I'm sorry, your pelvis uneven. And so your it seems like your one leg is shorter than the other, which makes your pelvis a little bit uneven, and so the joints, the sacroiliac joints, start to hurt. Um, there are two ways to treat it. One is to well, there are three ways to treat it. One is to look for why is there a, why is there a SI joint pain? Is there something wrong in the knee, on the foot, or the hip that's causing the pelvis to tilt a little bit? Um, and if you can't find that, uh, then you look at the SI joint itself. And it could be that the SI joint is just inflamed. Uh, in that case, it would need a couple of shots, steroid injections into the sacroiliac joints. Uh, that could help. Uh, if it's if it's very, um, it, it can be treated. It, it really hurts a lot. And as you've tried everything and nothing's making a big difference, then you can look at what's uh, an SI joint brace. And this is where I need to explain. There is an old, brace is called the SI belt. Do not touch that. Okay. Don't even go for that. That's a, that's a piece of useless piece of junk. There's a company, a German company that has come out with a brace for the waist and the SI joint, a combined brace. And it's designed for women because women's pelvises are different. And so it's designed for their, it's, it's designed for that. And it holds the pelvis in place, but it's not the best solution holding the pelvis in place because the pelvis needs to have some movement in it. Um, and that would be the other thing to try. Excuse me. Are you referring to the Bauerfeind sacral lock or something different? Yes. I'm talking about the Bauerfeind, not I, the sacral lock, but the lumbar okay. lady. Oh, okay. My sacral lock is sitting just a few feet from me. So I was curious. <laughs> yeah. Sacral lock is, um, is another one you can use. Um, and then, and then, um, or you can use the, what they have another version. So it's, what Dr. Bluestein is talking about is a company called Bauer Find, uh, B-A-U-E-R-F-I-E-N-D. It's a German company. They make braces. They make really great braces. Um, and they came out with this design called the Lumbo Lady. So it sort of stabilizes the lower back and the SI joint. And it's designed for women. Now, there are some bozos who, <laughs> I'm referring to orthopedic surgeons, who think that putting a screw into the SI joint will fix the problem. 
That is by far the worst idea I have ever seen. Because the SI, as we walk, the SI joint needs to have some movement. It, it should rock a little bit. And you cannot fuse it. You cannot put a screw in it and fuse it for good. Because once you do that, that throws the mechanics of your entire spine off. You start developing lower back pain, your hips start to hurt, everything starts to hurt after that. I have never seen, I have never in my life, no one does it actually. There are just a few cases, there are just a few people who have no clue what they're doing. They, they'll, they'll fuse it. Yeah, there's um, people that are still doing it. And I had somebody recently. Yeah, there are. I mean, it's just, are we allowed to swear on the podcast? <laughs> Go I, for it. We can always take it I out. I can just Go call it bleep. It. There are some bleep orthopedic surgeons who will like have no, really no brains. They'll say, Oh, your hip, your SI joint is causing pain and it's loose. Let me go and take some screws from Home Depot and screw <laughs> them up and fix your SI joint and you'll be good to go. And then they show up in our office. Oh, doc, my back hurts, my knee hurts, my everything. Right. And mm -hmm. then you're like, oh, the SI joint got fused. And there's not much you can do about it. <clears throat> Once so it's been leave fused. it alone. <laughs> and, and this is such an interesting conversation for us to have because the, the discussion about the SI joint has come such a long way. I mean, when I started out 20 some odd years ago, there were people saying that would stand on the hill and fight the SI joints, not a joint because it doesn't have any movement to it. Right. You know, it's a connection, like they couldn't even come up with a name for it. And now everybody agrees it's a joint, even though it has what, five to 10 degrees of motion, it's not a lot of motion, but it's critical motion. And looking at how the SI joint moves, how it coordinates with the rest of your spine. And, and more importantly, what we've talked about in earlier discussions, when we were talking about the upper extremities um, in our last podcast, we talked about muscle tightness and what is that trying to protect? And so often when I come in, when I have people come in with low back pain, I'm like, well, let's look at what's tight. Let's look at what's going on. And they'll have really tight glutes that may be super hypertonic, but not really efficient, or they might have one piriformis that's really strong and one that's really weak. And so figuring out what's trying to hold on instead um, is much better than, as you said, stick a screw in it and, and hope for the best. But, it, but it's usually a sign that there is some sort of imbalance of too much looseness versus too much tightness. And, and one will usually follow the other. So, so it's a really important conversation to have because it really does affect a whole lot of the body, that SI joint and that sacrum movement. Jennifer, I am blown away by what you just said because the glutes and the piriformis are so annoying, those muscles. <laughs> Especially the piriformis is a really annoying mm -hmm. muscle for what it does, mm -hmm. what its function is, and the degree of pain it causes, mm -hmm. it's just not worth having a piriformis muscle. I mean, Let's take it a, out. Yeah, if I had a way of sending a... Uh, like a kind of a request to God and like, hey, the next set of human beings that you create, can we just get rid of the piriformis muscle? It really doesn't do a lot. So <clears throat> you're absolutely right. Um, just because somebody has back pain, you don't just assume that it's your SI joint or your disc or whatever. Like I told you, no one has a normal MRI. There's no such thing as a normal MRI. <clears throat> so you look at the muscle, it's easy. You palpate the muscles, you, you, know, you push around and all of a sudden they're gonna jump up and say, yeah, that hurts a lot. And you can feel a knot there. And that's where you are. And that's because your muscles are trying their best to stabilize your joints, stabilize you as you move around, you're right. The piriformis muscle is, is 
um, is a super annoying. I, I, I especially hate it because I've had piriformis pain and it, it's not fun. It's a muscle that's deep down in the buttock. It connects your sacrum, that's the bone in the, in the middle of your butt, to the hip joint. So there's one on each side. Piriformis, it's called piriformis because it's pyramid shaped. And um, the problem is that muscle goes into, into a spasm because either you uh, moved your hip in a wrong way or did something to it and you now overstretch the piriformis muscle and now it's excruciatingly painful. This pain is usually in the buttock and it's, and it's very excruciating. The other problem is that just behind the piriformis muscle is the sciatic nerve. And so when it goes into a spasm, it presses on the sciatic nerve. And so now your pain shooting down your leg. And that too is an excruciating pain. Disc pain also causes pain down the leg, but it's not half as bad as the pain from the piriformis muscle causing pain shooting down your leg. Over the years, so it's very easy. When you walk into the room, you'll see the patient sitting on one button. They'll be leaning onto their left side. And you can right away say, and then you ask them like, what hurts? And oh, my back hurts. And doc, I have this disc herniation and I have sciatica, it's going down my right leg. And you, you do a couple of maneuvers and you aggravate the piriformis muscle and there you are, there you have it. The diagnosis is really simple. The treatment is also equally simple. Uh, for me, I can do some injections into the piriformis muscle and break the spasm and stretch it. Otherwise, um, you can sit on a golf ball or a tennis ball, depending on the size of your butt. You can sit on one of those and, um, and, and sort of stretch the piriformis muscle. So the way to stretch it is you bring the affected ankle. So let's say it's on the right side. You bring the right ankle onto your left knee, the unaffected knee, and just lean forward. And you'll feel that, feel that pain in, the, in your butt. Hold it for two seconds and then straighten back up again, all the while keeping that, that golf ball or your tennis ball. Don't, I don't think I've ever met anyone who's needed bigger than a golf ball, like a football or a softball <laughs> yet. Um, I'm sure there might be some people, but mostly the, mostly the tennis ball is good enough. And when you put pressure on it, um, it sort of, it's like a pressure point. And the pressure point then loosens, breaks the spasm, and then you stretch it. And eventually we'll let go. Um, that's the way to do it. Um, if it's super painful and you want some relief right away, uh, lie on your back, and then you move the affected leg away from you, a little bit away from the midline, like about 20 degrees away from the midline to the side, and turn the foot outwards. And after about 10, 15 minutes, the muscle will start to let go. Mm. But well, that's not the cure. That's just right. temporary. It's just a temporary, yeah. I, I will add to that, that when I have someone come in to me who has SI joint pain and they'll say, you know, I really feel the pain on my right side. I'll go through a few different things. There's lots of different places where they could be really tight, but I would say 70% of the time, one of the most effective things I can do is strengthen the left piriformis and try to get the left piriformis, the non-painful, the non-squeaky wheel side, as you've said with the knees to start working. And I can, I'll do a little bit of release for the right piriformis, but then I will ignore the right piriformis and strengthen other muscles, like their deep rotator muscles, get, make sure their hamstrings are doing the extension work they need to on the right side to try to get the right piriformis to feel safe. And like it can release 
and let go. So strengthening the opposite piriformis from where there's pain and then trying to strengthen the muscles around it so the piriformis doesn't feel like it's quite so alone um, is often a great first step for people with those issues for me that I found. That's a really great idea. I never thought of that. Thank That's you. a really good idea. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's very, this condition is very painful. And this is the one that drives a lot of people to the emergency room. It's, it's, this pain is not this painful, but I mean, this pain does cause pain down the leg and all that, but it's not as acute as a piriformis muscle because it's a muscle squeezing your sciatic nerve. So it's both a muscle spasm and a sciatic nerve pain. I think that's, do you have anything else in our lower extremities? I have a question in the pelvis and I think Dr. Blusine wants to get back to the ankle in a second, but um, really quickly, because I have seen this a few times, can you talk about the pubic symphysis? I see it, especially mm. in uh, hormonal, like pregnant women. And I've seen it in a few of my, my athletic dancer clients with a, a subluxation of the pubic symphysis with hypermobility. That's a very, that's actually pretty painful. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what Jennifer is asking is the pubic symphysis, remember the ring, the pelvis is a ring. We talked about that. And on the back, it meets the sacrum and um, the bone in the in our, we call the tailbone, it meets that. But in the front, the bones meet together. They sort of, right at the pubic area, they meet together. And oftentimes, um, well, when you're as old as I am, they, they actually fuse. But um, in, in EDS, it can, it can actually separate. And when that separates, then that causes pain in the back because then that throws the whole pelvic ring off. So it causes pain in the pelvic, the SI joint area, it causes pain in the, usually this happens when there's something severely off on the hip joints or the legs. That's when it usually happens. And this, to solve this problem, you really need to have a brace for that. It's it's very, this, I've, I don't know if this, if surgery is a good option or not, I don't know, but, just thinking of the mechanics, I think, so if it is so separated that you can't bring it together or just can't make it stay together, then surgically treating it would be the way to go. Um, but otherwise, uh, uh, that Bauerfeind, Lumbo Lady, or even the Sacro Lock will do the job. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Absolutely. Well, and this whole conversation about the lower extremity has just been so interesting. And I keep thinking about what you said at the very beginning about how the lower extremities not only have to function well for themselves, but also have to be able to bear the load of our entire body. We have to be able to stand on one leg and be able to bear the load of our body. And we have to be able to do it as efficiently as possible and sort of going through it joint by joint and seeing how closely connected they are. The ankle affects the knee, the knee affects the hip, the hip offense affects the foot. And then the pelvis sits in there going, I'm sorry for so many things that are <laughs> happening. Um, you have given us some really great hacks and we are so grateful once again for you sharing your knowledge with us and for uh, continuing the series as we kind of talk through the whole body with you. Thank you so much once again, Dr. Chopra, for being on Bendy Bodies podcast with us. Thank you for inviting me. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be able to help, not just, you know, help your listeners and give them some guidance on what to do and what not to do, because there's not a whole lot of help out there. And, you know, it's nice to be able to, so thank you for, I know setting up a podcast is not an easy job and it's not a, it's, it's, a, it's an expensive venture. And I really appreciate you guys doing that um, out of the goodwill of your hearts. And um, may God bless you for doing that because 
this is the information that they're that I give you over here is not just coming up that I cooked up last week. It's it's 30 years of treating EDSRs and figuring out uh, solutions because when I started out, there were no solutions. Mm-hmm. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, EDS is very rarely found and they have loose joints, period. And then they go on to the next mm-hmm. condition. And that was all we mm-hmm. knew. And so it was an invention of many, many treatments and things like that. So, And that's why uh, we're so grateful that you've shared your amassed wisdom with our with our listeners. We really appreciate it. Yes. Oh, yeah. I have. They- I'm, just, I'm just oozing with wisdom. <laughs> you you I'm, are you are you, are. Are. you yeah. joke but you yeah. are yeah you need to wear uh, earplugs now <laughs> <laughs> keep all that wisdom in right right Linda we need to we need to beat Jennifer's hack of the day she set the bar too high <laughs> I, I set the bar too <laughs> yeah. high you guys are gonna have to come up with a better hack yeah we we'll have time. to come up That's with a better right. hack than that exactly yeah, yeah. I know I'm gonna be thinking between now and then I'm gonna be trying to think of of as many hacks as I possibly can. <laughs> yeah, just hack hack yourself through through till our next podcast. <laughs> right. And right. Might, any one of those could hit off as being the highest hack. We've got to be Jennifer's. She set the bar way too high. You've got to. Yeah. I set a high bar. That's right. I did. <laughs> well, everybody, make sure you tune into our next podcast so you can hear who wins the hack of the day. <laughs> <laughs> and until then, we will see everybody later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD podcast. Help us spread the word about joint hypermobility and related disorders by leaving a review and sharing the podcast. This helps raise awareness about these complex conditions. Visit bendybodiespodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at bendy underscore bodies. We love seeing your posts and stories, so please tag us using hashtag bendybuddy. You can also find me, Dr. Linda Bluestein, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, all with the ID HypermobilityMD. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. This is not intended to be a substitute for medical diagnosis or advice. Do not disregard or delay obtaining medical advice for any medical condition you have. The opinions shared are that of the guest and do not necessarily represent the views of the hosts or any particular organization. Thank you for being a part of our community, and we will catch you next time on the Bendy Bodies podcast. This episode of the Bendy Bodies podcast was brought to you by Bauerfine Premium Braces and Supports, designed to provide joint stability and pain relief.